whether you're ever shocked as I am when I watch the news or you listen to what goes on in my next door neighbour's house. Are you ever shocked at the horror of what people can do to each other? Are you ever shocked by the state of how depraved sometimes humanity can be? Sometimes it's watching on the news when somebody sets up a bomb. Sometimes it's watching warring tribes maybe in a part of Africa and they just slaughter. And they don't just slaughter... It's not even callous. It's vindictive. It's cruel and unkind. Sometimes you watch racist comments and you see how they're meant to hurt and harm people. Sometimes ordinary people can be just so messed up as well, can't we? Sometimes we can struggle and be given and we give ourselves to the most depraved and unusual behaviour. Sometimes it's whether it's in an addiction or in a feud with somebody. Sometimes it's a perversion. Sometimes it's violence to even towards people within your own family. It's the stuff, almost, of the horror films. And I don't know whether you're just shocked by it. I wonder whether you've got a way of looking at the world that explains and can make sense of it. We live in a secular age at the moment. Secular basically means that this time and this world and this material, things that we can touch, taste and see, are the only things that we can know and are the only things that are there. So what we have now is that we have a raft raft of philosophers and psychologists and psychiatrists who whenever they see something that our hearts tell us we want to label as evil, we look at it and say, no, that is wrong and it's not meant to be and it shouldn't be like that. But what they'll do is they'll come up with a raft of reasons as as to how it can be explained from inside of this world. Maybe there was a problem with your nurture. You were brought up badly and that's why you had to do that. Perhaps that is a factor. Perhaps there's a problem with your medicine. You need to be topped up with the right number of chemicals so your biochemistry is rebalanced. And the danger with all of that is we start saying to people who for some reason perhaps they've got biochemical problems and they've got nurture problems, but at the end of the day when you slaughter people or you set up a bomb on a train or if you pursue that deviant habit or if you give yourself that addiction, it is wrong and evil. So I don't think a secular view of the world has got a big enough answer to the realities of what we see on our telly, to what we face every day, to the grief that is on our streets, to the inequalities in society, to the injustices that we see. And what's more, the Apostle John was agree with that. The Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation down, the message that came from not a secular worldview, but a theistic worldview. The Bible tells us that there is more to this world that can merely be measured in a test tube, weighed on a balance, or seen in this world. There is a supernatural world, and when your eyes and horizon is lifted to that, you suddenly get some answers as to why the world is the way it is. But for the John and the Christians in the first century, they seem to be in an incredibly dark and oppressive world. There was pagan worship that demanded that you indulge in the same deprived deprived practices. There was um, immorality around, and you were thought of as weird if you didn't dive into the same flood of dissipation, says one verse in the Bible. Give yourself. There was shady stuff that went on at night. It wasn't the actions of being in the day. And it seemed as if those forces and those influences were winning, and there was the little church sitting in the middle of it going, I'm sure God is pure. I'm sure God is wholesome. I'm sure God is beautiful. I'm sure he is wonderful. This doesn't seem to fit with his world. As the darkness won, as the light lost, 
And of course we can sometimes feel that around here, can't we? You can feel it in any place, any, any street that you go to in this country, and it will present in different ways. The things that people watch on their computers, the things that happen late at night, the grief and arguments, the, re- the rending and the tearing of families, social breakdown, upset. Is there something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about? And the answer from this little bit of the Bible is a resounding yes. This stuff in this chapter, or this first half of the chapter, is the stuff of horror movies. Have you noticed you'd have thought in a civilised society that the genre of horror movies would have disappeared? You know, but it doesn't. In fact, the horror movies are getting pumped at an even faster rate. And each and every one, they look for one that, that is even more scary, there's even more mutilation, there's almost more fear, there's more darkness than the last one. And there's a reason for that. Because that darkness, though not found literally in a Hollywood picture, is actually present behind the scenes. With an aim, with an intention, and with a direction. So what we're going to do is we're just going to work through this little bit of the Bible, referencing some of the things that we've already looked at in the book of Revelation, so we can understand what is going on, and answer the question as to whether or not God has been defeated. Is bad going to defeat evil? Sorry, is bad going to defeat good? Is evil going to triumph of what is beautiful, perfect and right? Let's have a look at Revelation chapter 9. The fifth angel sounded the trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. Now it sounds like a sci-fi film, but it's not because we've already heard in our Bible reading. Let's go back to the the trumpets. Remember, we're in this scene in the book of Revelation where we're getting a view of humanity and history from the throne room of God. And in this particular vision, the focus is what it looks like to be in a world that has said, do one to God. What it looks like to be an inhabitant of the earth who says, he is not there, not relevant, I will not submit, and Jesus matters nothing to me. And so the trumpet blast goes out, and in the Bible the trumpet blasts are always a a sign of warning and announcements. So there is something about to happen in these verses that is a warning and an announcement, a call and a summons, if you like, to pay attention and to focus on a world that actually belongs to God. And what is this fifth uh, angel with this fifth trumpet? We saw some of the other ones last week. What is this fifth one trumpeting? What is being let loose? What is being released? Answer, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. We heard in Isaiah chapter 14 of a star that had fallen from heaven. This, well, let's go to Luke chapter, flick over to Luke chapter 10, will you? We had it read to us. Luke chapter 10, somebody when they've got a page number, could you read it for us? Uh, verses 18 and 19, Luke chapter 10, give us a page number, 733, and somebody read for us verse 18 and 19. Brilliant, thank you. What we've got here is a picture of Satan being let loose on the earth. Satan is a fallen angel. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, when God created the world, uh, he declared, it is good. And yet by the time we got to our reading that we had a little while ago in Genesis chapter 3, there was a serpent there whose intention it was to twist, usurp, and pull people away from God's good intention for their life, 
for their eternity, to give him no glory, Satan's strategy was, I will see God dishonoured and me lifted up as people foolishly believe my lies about God and my lies about themselves. Did Satan make Adam and Eve sin? No, he duped them. And they willingly got on board and everything broke. So is God the creator of evil? No, Satan is. Satan is a fallen angel, a high order angel, who has fallen, and here we find, and I saw a star that, is, uh, star that had fallen from the sky to the earth, and the star, remember earlier in Revelation, stars are always a picture of angels? This is the fallen angel, Satan. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Now that's all getting rather scary. Let's think a little bit about what the Bible tells us about spiritual realities. Kicking back to Satan, flick over to Revelation chapter 12 for us. Revelation chapter 12, a few pages on. I'm starting to read it, little, the little verse 7. See the little number 7 there? It's on page 876 in the church Bible. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his dragons fought against, sorry, uh, and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So here we have demonic influence at work in the world. They have been thrown down. Or in this picture, when he opened the abyss, smoke rose up from it. I'll come to that in just a minute. Satan is not an equal of God. There is no contest. He is a fallen angel who who works against God and as we'll see, has, has got limits put on him by the Lord himself. His name is Satan, which means adversary or the one who fights against or opposes. Sometimes it is diabolos, which means the slanderer. So the nature of Satan is to take something that is good and right and beautiful and lie about it and twist your opinion about it. Ultimately God, but also good things in God's world, so we get duped. He's sometimes referred to as the deceiver, the opposer, the slanderer or the accuser. In John chapter 12, verse 31, he's described as the ruler of this world. And remember, sometimes when the Bible talks about, uses the word world, it doesn't mean physically planet Earth with 7 billion people on. The world is, if you like, um, the systems and institutions and nations of the Earth that are antagonistic towards who Jesus is, who don't recognize him, who run with all the gifts and the graces that God gives for their own ends, but not the Lord's. And, the, and Satan is described as the ruler of that world. Flick over to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Somebody shout out a page number for us. Chapter 2, verse 2. 825. And you'll see the big number 2 there. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Satan has a massive influence over any place or any person where Jesus is not named as Lord and King. That's what the Bible teaches. And that could be on your street, it could be on your telly, it could be in your family, it could be at your work, it could be over your government, it could certainly be over your media. 
a satanic subtle influence that deceives about God, that opposes and stands against him, that slanders him and accuses him. Some of you have talked to me about how vicious some of your family members can be against your, you when you speak about your faith in Jesus. It's just vicious. You know, where did that come from? Answer, they're doing their work, the work of their father, the devil. They're under his influence and willingly going along with it. They're not dupes. They're culpable and responsible. But they're just the subtle lies that he sends come and get acted out even in our families. So what does this tell us? It tells us, first of all, that evil is personal. Whenever evil is done anywhere, it is not impersonal. You know, some, we, sometimes we talk, don't we, about this is right and this is wrong. Yeah, that's right, but they're not impersonal. Whenever you do right or whenever you do wrong, it's always towards a relationship or a person. Now, of course, teenagers struggle with this one, but parents know the truth. So when your teenager flies off the handle and is really awkward, disobedient, narky and grumpy, throws a, a wobble in, doesn't do what you say, they don't see that as being done against you if you're an adult. You're just a parent who's there, you just happen to be there. But you as a parent are just like, how could she do that to me? I'm her daughter. And you see, all of us spiritually, when we walk into evil and do it, are doing it against the one who made us and loved us. Evil is not impersonal. And behind evil stands an impersonal force, and his name is Satan. And what we find here in verse 2 was he was given the keys to the shaft of the abyss, which is a picture of the, uh, of the place where the many other angels who turned against God with Satan are located. We're told in the Bible that some of them are locked up for eternity never to be let out. But here we find that Satan is given the keys of the abyss to allow some of them out. Can you see it? When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. So in other words, the, the very air that you breathe and the very noises that you can hear are sort of... It's just always there. It's there. It's the stuff that you breathe in and take it everywhere. There isn't a place where it doesn't get. It's not like, like you go to that place, you open that door, it's just inside that house. It's everywhere this demonic influence. It's a spiritual picture of universal influence that affects everything. But the important thing to see is that it is not physical, verse 3. And out of the smoke, locusts came up upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And there's a picture that comes out of the book of Joel of one of the days when the Lord wanted to bring judgment against his people, he sent an army of locusts. And this army of locusts, I don't know whether you know about locusts, they devastate everything. They leave the basic things there, like the roots of the trees and the rocks and the, and the masonry of the houses, but anything that is living and thriving, anything that's a source of life, just gets devoured. It's not unusual for you to have a, a, when a locust cloud comes and attacks. It's four miles wide, a hundred feet deep, and it leaves nothing left. Everything is wrecked by it. And here we find that the um, satanic and demonic influence that is coming upon the earth is everywhere with that aim in mind. But it's interesting that it talks about locusts, but they're, like, they're given power like that of scorpions on the earth. We'll come to that in a minute. But we know it's not a literal thing. Some of you are saying, well, hold on, this is literal. Or maybe it's talking about the 
the armies down through history. Some people thought this was a picture of the Roman army coming and blitzing all the Christians. Other people thought it was a picture of the Islamic forces in the 7, 8, 9, um, 900s coming across against in the, the, the Crusades. Other people think it's, well, a locust looks a little bit like a helicopter, apparently, so some people think it's helicopters. No. This is a supernatural force, look, because normal locusts scoff the grass and the earth and the plants and the trees, but these ones, they're not natural. They were told not to harm the grass or the earth or the tree or the plants. They weren't doing that. In fact, we find here, and we'll talk about it more in a minute, they were, tar- they were to target the lives of people who are not believers will come. Come to that in just a minute. I want you to spot here that they were given power. Verse 1. I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Verse 3. And out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth and were given power. Verse 5. They were not given power to kill, but only to... Do you get the sense here that they're hemmed in? This satanic influence that is at work in the world has not totally run riot. Oh, it's devastating. It's crushing, but it is not um, without limits. We're told here that God himself is allowing us to have what we want. And just like in the garden, where Adam and Eve had a choice to listen to who the Lord is and live under his truths, or let those truths be taken, twisted, uh, and the lies of the, of the serpent, Satan, and trust in them, and live under that, which one did we choose? That one. And so the Lord says, okay, have that one for a while. Have that one and see how well it goes. So the question that you and I need to ask ourselves is, is our view of God big enough for that? We like to think of God as a bit of a puppy who's not going to threaten us, who's not, well, so scary that he even uses evil. He's not the author of evil and he does not create evil. But when there is evil there, he takes it, rolls it all up and uses it ultimately to bring about good and to bring about his glory. A little bit like what my dad used to do when he used to teach me this thing in, in the lounge. He used to move back the sofas. It was great fun. Move back the sofas and he'd show me all his judo he used to do. And he'd say, run at me, run at me, run at me. And so I'd run at him and I'd find myself flat me back, flattened. Because what's the rule of judo? You take somebody's momentum in the direction they're going and you use it to your benefit so that you win and they're flattened. The Lord does that it's all right, you don't need to report my dad to social services. It was fun. I knew what I was getting into. The Lord does that even with evil. He lets them out of the abyss. He gives them a measure of power. He shows the watching world through his trumpet blast, this is the mess you get into when you do not trust in me, turn away from me. This is what happens. Quick, turn back. That's what the trumpet call is doing there. You see, these demonic forces are a little bit like a dog on a chain. They can only chase out so far. And who is it who they're not after? Who is it they're not allowed to touch? Verse 5. They were given... uh, Sorry, verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or the plants or the trees, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. This is a picture. This whole vision is a picture of how... Satan is allowed to be let, is let loose and his forces and his dominions are let loose on the unbelieving humanity of the world. But look who can't be touched. It's people who have been sealed and who have trusted in Jesus. 
You see, when we come to Jesus, he doesn't just forgive us our sins. No, he does. He does not just clothe us in his righteousness. Yes, he does. But he ensures that Satan cannot flatten us. Now, let's be quick clear here, as we're about to see. This is about the way in which Satan comes after, torments, twists, corrupts, mutilates the soul, the inner person, the psyche of, of mankind, so that in our personhood we get broken. But this is not to say that Christians are immune from the general sufferings of the world, from natural disasters, from disease, from death, from people's criminality, yet we can still be attacked by that, but our soul will be safe and secure. We will be sealed. We will not be let go of spiritually. The Lord will keep a hold of us. Do you see what's going on here? But for others who do not call on the name of Jesus and trust in him, their soul, their person, their spiritual life, is assailed again and again and again by satanic and demonic influence. So what do they do here? Verse 4 and 5 and 10. They were told, these demonic forces, not to harm the grass or or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Verse 10, they had tails and stings like scorpions. And in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. Five months is just the the lifespan of a typical locust. So the whole point that's supposed to remind us of is that this 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 is measured, this is limited, it will have an end. It is not out of control and it will not win in the end. It will die and it comes to an end. But here we've been told that well, these demonic forces are there tormenting souls. To the believers, the Lord has said, you can't touch this. You can't touch their soul. They're safe. I've sealed. Mine. Hands off. But to people who haven't turned and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not the same. It's a very vivid image there, isn't it? A scorpion and a sting. The majority of scorpions, I don't know whether you know this, unless they're in some sort of Clash of the Titans thing, the majority of scorpion stings do not kill. They're not fatal. They're not lethal. They're just incredibly, incredibly painful. And here we see that, don't we, in verse 5. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. So here we're finding in the Bible that there is something worse than dying. There is something worse than death. There are things that happen to us that leaves people crying out, I just wish I was dead. This is twisted and warped and wrong, but I just, I've had enough, I don't want to live anymore. They are tortured souls. Now let's just talk about this just for a little bit. Have you ever had those really embarrassing moments like I have? When you're out and about, maybe in a shopping centre, or you're in town, or you've gone to a sports event, or you're even in a kid's school, and your kids turn and drag on your coat and look, Daddy! Really obviously, so everybody around can hear, because there is somebody who looks different. They've got some sort of deformity, perhaps. Perhaps they've got a burn mark. Perhaps they were the victim of crime and had a glass put across their face. Perhaps there was a deformity in their birth, so perhaps they've only got half an arm. Or perhaps the, you know, the, the face is a little bit twisted. Or else they've got a cleft palate. Have you seen that? And if you notice how kids, they, they automatically look. And they can automatically, that's not supposed to be that way. Look! And then you say, don't look, don't look, don't look. And it's just, I like that. Perhaps it's a mutilation because of somebody who's attacked them. There is something in us that recoils from that, isn't there? 
But that can happen physically to people. Some sort of mutilation or some sort of brokenness or deformity. But biblically, it can happen to a soul as well. We can be so damaged that our soul gets twisted. So that we cannot, that we don't even look right. In fact, you know, you and me, we look in the mirror in the morning, we think we look reasonably presentable, but the Lord who sees, not just the physical, but the state of our heart and the soul, he looks at you and he looks at me, and under our own devices, and left as we are, apart from Jesus, we look even more, and I want to use this cautiously because they're precious people who, for many of them, it's not their fault if if they've got some sort of uh, deformity or suffered some sort of mutilation, but we look repelled repellent, or we repel, don't we? we? It's repulsive. And the Lord looks at us and he says, you're the same, spiritually. You're repulsive because as I look at you, you have twisted away from what your, my original intention for who you are, for your humanity, for your personhood. And so much of that has come because of the fact you believe the lies of Satan and being prepared to uh, pursue his intent for your life. We become dehumanized. That's the picture here. And don't we know it? We can become dehumanized psychologically. How many people are screwed up psychologically? They just can't make it work. How many people are screwed up spiritually? How many people are screwed up relationally? We just don't even manage to hold on to a good relationship. We scream and yell at the people who are the nearest to us. We can't get on with our neighbours. We live in a, a world where people are just... We're supposed to be so much more than this. And this is telling us that behind what we see presenting in those issues, in brokenness of heart, of mind, of soul, is a satanic influence who is working to that end to destroy the inner person of everybody who doesn't know Jesus. We get dehumanized, we get mutilated personhood, we end up being a deviation from what we're supposed to be, and it's not physical, it's spiritual, psychological, and relational. And this is all under the influence of Satan. And you say, hold on, this sounds very otherworldly. Let me try and bring it down to, to land for you before we, we finish. If you were living in John's day in the city of Ephesus, they had a massive temple up there. It was the temple of the um, goddess Diana, or Artemis. And along with that false worship of something that was just a made-up false god, were all kinds of ugly practices that left people degraded and broken. So on an evening time, somewhere upwards, of 500 to 1,000 temple prostitutes would come down and ply their wares. And so they were told that, well, if you want the... the, 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 uh, you want the goddess to smile on you, you need to engage in this. You need to relate to this. You need to procreate by this ugly means and this, this twisted form of sexuality in order to get the favour of the goddess. And people wanted favour in their life, so they were prepared to give themselves away to get it. And if you didn't pick that one in Ephesus, you could have picked another town where in order to get the favour of the things that were worshipped, the gods that were worshipped, there would be child sacrifice live babies chucked burning into flames. And back then it's easy. You look at that and you think, yeah, that's demonic. That's wrong. They were believing the lies, hook, line and sinker. And they were diving straight in. 
But all through the book of Revelation, we find that whenever there is idolatry and false worship, not far behind is a demonic influence egging people on. So, yeah, trust that, believe that, worship that, and it will deliver life for you. And the demons are behind the scene, rubbing their hands with glee, saying, this is great, they're going to be duped yet again. They're going to dive in thinking they'll get life, but actually, they'll be fractured, mutilated, torn apart, and deviated from the norm of what they were called and supposed to be. And you say, Steve, how does that happen today? Well, I just wanted to pick a couple of examples. Well, what do we worship in our culture? We worship spirit of independence, self-determination, and following my dreams and plan for my life. What happens when people get in the way of that? What if it's your family? And you brought to that choice point, do I live for myself or do I remember that I'm part of a family and other people are precious to me? If I worship individualism, sooner or later I have to fracture the family and the relationships that God has put there for my blessing and my good start breaking apart. What happens if I have an unwanted pregnancy? Just at the time when my career is beginning to take off, when I've got other options. This wasn't what I wanted. What I'll do is I'll sacrifice my baby. I'll burn my baby in order that I may have my life. And Satan rubs his hands with glee. You know, there are certain things that happen every generation that future generations will look back and say, I cannot believe you allowed that to happen. I don't know whether it will be 30, 50, 100 years from now, but they'll look back on Western culture and say, how did you allow the killing of babies so that you could have your idol of self-determination and independence? That's not the only one. There's the violent example. What about the, the, the deviant example? What about the fact that this culture worships sex and relationships and we say to ourselves, well, as long as things happen between consenting adults, there's no harm in it and it won't touch my soul. And the Bible screams at us that we are embodied souls and what our body does impacts our soul. And so you can't help but notice that in, in the last 12 months there have been 5.3 million copies of Fifty Shades of Grey sold. They talk about it popularly on the radio, even on Radio 2, that bastion of supposedly conservative values. And that basically is a book. They call it mommy porn. I mean, the fellas that you can click on the pornography, it's bad enough. But Fifty Shades of Grey is just pornography for women, which allows titillating images and ideas of domination and twisted sexual practice to be put forward as something to be thought on. Even if you read it and say, oh no, that's not for you're thinking on it. Don't you dare think that that won't twist you and corrupt you and mutilate you. Don't think that it won't affect you in the way that you relate to a potential partner, husband or wife. Don't think it won't. In the same way every time a fella clicks on something on, on an internet, it affects, it poisons, it corrupts, it mutilates, and the devils and the demons rub their hands with glee. Satanic influence slowly destroys us and leaves us as shells of people. We become mutilated and deviant, and then what we do is stand up and celebrate it. Look how free we are! Look how free we are! We willingly participate and we willingly make God our enemies. We give in to self-pity, lust, bitterness, rage, anger. Oh, 
fits of rage. I mean, the Bible says, do not let your son go down on your, on your anger and so give Satan a foothold. He loves it. He loves it when you're an angry person. You're in his grip when you're an angry person. You are, if you like, doing the devil's work when you're an angry person. Because you were not made to be a twisted, angry person. And of course, the argument out of the garden that he first gave in Genesis 3, when, if you take it, you shall not surely die, we're like, cool, the devil must be right. This isn't going to wreck me, break me, mutilate me internally. This isn't going to make me an enemy of God. I'm absolutely fine, thank you very much. I'm so free. I choose this life for myself. And the devil is laughing, going, ha, no you didn't. You've been duped, cornered, conned, manipulated, tricked, and had. And that is why the Apostle John speaks about the father of this age. The ruler. Is he bigger than Jesus? No. But without even realising it, billions nod their heads to his influence. So can you hardly blame God that he's blowing a trumpet saying, Hello, this is supposed to call you lot back to me. Hello. He lets us, if you like, he gives us over to this with the, the view that we would just say, Oh, I need to know God. And if you're listening right now and you haven't uh, trusted in the Lord Jesus yet, or if you've been playing at it, can I tell you, your soul is precious. You need to put your soul in his hands. Come under the protection of Jesus. You can't blame God for judging. He's done everything. He sent his son. Have you any idea how difficult it was for the Lord Jesus to be around people who were mutilated souls? It was repulsive to him. We loved and he gave and he was gentle and he never said, get away from me. But he who is too fair to look upon corruption he came, and God recoils from it, because he's perfect and pure, and we are spoiled, and we can't come near to God. We have loved the lies of Satan. He has corrupted our humanity, but Christ came, lived amongst us, and he refused to recoil. What a stench. We smell bad. We aren't doing him any favours. Our ugliness, and to him, it was like a horror film. Yet, he endured it. But more than that, he was willing to become it. He was willing to become spiritually mutilated. He was willing to become spiritually mutilated so that we could be made whole again. He was tortured physically and spiritually. He was mutilated. It says in Isaiah 53 that his face was so that nobody wanted to look upon him. He was that bad. And he did it all in order that Satan may be defeated to set us free from his sweet enslaving lies. You see, there are those people there who will seek death but not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. And instead they should be crying out, Lord Jesus, give me life. Put me under your seal of protection. Protect me. So can I ask you today, are you sealed? Are you? Can I tell you how you'll know? You'll know if you're sealed, if you are somebody who has surrendered to Jesus for salvation. Have you surrendered? Have you turned back to him? Are you on his side? Are you saying, Lord, I don't want to believe those lies anymore. I don't want to live them and I don't want to act them out. I want my soul to be put back together. Lord, would you make me whole again? 
Would you undo the process of what Satan has done, whether it's immorality and sexual perversion and lack of trust in you? I deny that. I don't want it anymore. I want to go your way. When there's anger and fury and violence in me, I want rid of it. It's ugly. It's horrible. I can't break it on my own. But you die to break the power of Satan's lies over my life. You're going to make me new bit by bit. I want to be one of your people. I don't want to be under the father of lies and darkness. And if that's your heart, and if that's, what, if that's what you're turning to, and that's what you're trusting, and you're putting off idolatry, then you're sealed. And the influence of Satan will collapse around you. Will he whisper to you? Will he try to influence you? Yes. But can he command your destiny? No. Can he pull you from Jesus? No. You are safe and you are sealed. He will not let your soul go. And what was once corrupt, which is you and your soul, he will restore. He will pull out the bars of the sins. You will be assailed by Satan, but it will not torment because you are trusting and standing in Jesus. So are you bound to him? You will be bound to somebody. You see, to be bound to him is the only freedom and freedom from him is the worst slavery. So come to him where you're safe. And if you have been one of his people and you know that for a long, long time, please, 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 do not be surprised by the fact that the secular minds cannot explain the ugliness and what is wrong in the world. Because they do not see this satanic, demonic influence that is at work seeking to draw people away from the truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Don't be surprised at the venom. Don't be surprised when people barefaced lie to you. Don't be surprised when you're tempted and pulled in the direction of ugly immorality and not uh, being all uh, uh, living the full humanity that Jesus has called you to. Don't be surprised. Don't suck in the lies that the devil says. Say, go that way and you will surely live, but you will not surely live. And we want to be really careful with how we take this to people. Because if people want to pursue the lies of the enemy, if they want to be duped, if they want to be conned, and you say, you're under the influence of Satan. They're going to look at you and laugh. I'm not saying you shouldn't say that, and maybe a time would be appropriate. But we need to realise that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the demonic forces, the influences, the dominions and powers. Therefore, we put on the full armour of God and we pray, Lord, loose that person from the lies of the enemy, restore their soul, remove the torment, seal them, bring them, make them your own, as you so graciously have done in me. Let's pray before we sing. Lord, we realise we're in a battle, but perhaps we hadn't realised how seedy and how underhanded the enemy is and how you've let him loose as a warning against us that we may come back to you whilst there is time. Lord, we pray for our family members who are under the influence of demonic forces, who believe the lies, whose souls are tortured. And we thank you that you have opened our eyes to see who Jesus is, not because we're clever or better, but just because you're merciful. 
We pray for them, Lord, that you would use us as angels of light, that you would use us to pray, that you would use us to open the eyes of the blind. We pray, Lord, that many would turn and trust in you. Lord, we pray for our nation, where people are diving headlong into practices and lifestyles and mentalities that are so subhuman. And Lord, when we do it, we make excuses. Lord, would you have mercy, please? Would you limit, oh Lord, limit it. Would you help us to live knowing that we are safe and secure and dignified and precious in the sight of Jesus? And when we're tempted to believe lies and tempted to be soothed by lies, would you not let the devil have his way? Would you free us up from his plans? And would you cause us to stand in these dark days until that day when you finally do away with all wickedness and all your enemies? For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together now. We've got two songs. We're going to sing a song uh, which you'll notice that one of the verses references the attack of Satan. And it references it wonderfully. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, up would I look and see him there. Just click it on for us, will you, Bethany? Up would I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Our hope is Jesus. When we sing that song, I'm going to open this up for questions, which we wouldn't normally do, but I realise that on this whole topic, it's one that we don't think very often, and I want to give you the opportunity to ask clarify, question and query. So we'll have that and then we'll sing one more song after that to finish. Okay, let's sing, stand and sing together.